You know, small things can amount to a lot, especially when it comes to relationships. It's the small things that matter. When it comes to love, it's the small things that matter. When it comes to business, it's the small things that matter. The little things, they can add up to be a lot. I'll never forget one of the times that I, I regret. As a young man, I, I went to a good friend of mine. We went to camp together. My mother sent me to church camp all the time. And my friend went with me. And he never experienced anything of the Lord at all. He had never had a touch of God on his life at all. And matter of fact, he grew up in a very, very rough home. But he went to camp with me, and there at camp, for the first time, he experienced the fire of God. I think you were there at that camp, Barb. I, I believe that was that camp. And, and for the first time, he experienced God, and he was so on fire. I mean, you, you could see it on him. He had never experienced a touch of God like that in his life before. Now, at that time, I wasn't saved, and I wasn't trying to go all crazy about Jesus at that time. And he wanted to join the choir. Well, I thought that was kind of a sissy thing to do. And so I told him, I'm not joining the choir. And he said, come on, Bruce, come join the choir with me. And, and I didn't want to join the choir, and I told him I'm not going. In the process of that, I could see that it bothered him that I wouldn't go down with him to join the choir. It was after camp that the fire moved out of him, and he was no longer zealous for the Lord, and he went back to his old ways and I couldn't help but think after I got saved, what could have God done had I went with him and joined the choir? And I thought about him this week, and it, 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 I tell you the story because I wondered about him this week. I wondered, has he come back to the Lord yet? And I don't know. I wanted to reach out to him and find him, and I can't seem to find him right now. But I don't know if he did. But I know this about God. He wants him back. For those that have left the Lord, God wants them all back. It's the heart of God that anyone who has separated themselves or abandoned the ways of God, that they return to God. It's God's desire for them to love him again and, and to be in a relationship with him that is, that is set apart from this world. You see, Christian, it is possible to have tasted of the heavenly gift and turn away from it. It is possible for a dog to return to his vomit. It is possible for the pig to return to its filth. It is possible for a Christian who has tasted of God and embraced the fire of God, the zeal of God, and enjoyed the presence of God to walk away from God. Now, I know that there's a philosophy today that says God loves me no matter what, and therefore I am eternally secure. There is no problem. I never have to worry. I confessed Jesus when I was eight, and therefore I never, ever have to repent again. That's hogwash. <coughs> you can lose out. If you don't believe me, ask Adam and Eve. If you don't believe me, read the book of Judges and ask the Israelites who continually backslid and left God and God left them and turned them over to their sin and then they cried out to God and God returned to them. It happened seven times in one book. If you don't believe me, then you need to ask Judas. Is it possible, Judas, that you could leave Christ? Yes, it is. 
If you don't believe me, ask Demas, who walked with Paul in the greatest revival that in, in, in all of history, walked with Paul, seen the ministry of Paul, seen the miracles, seen people transformed. And the Bible said, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, Demas has forsaken me because he loves this world. If you don't believe me, ask Paul himself who said, I'm careful that I myself do not become a castaway. It is possible, Christian, for you and I to walk away from God. God don't walk away from you, but you can walk away from God. This is why the Bible gives us the parable of the ten virgins. Because what is at stake when we walk away? What is at stake for you and I if you and I turn our backs from God? What is the tragic end of a life that dies and doesn't know Christ? That is a sad, fearful thing. The ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. The five wise ones kept oil in their lamps. The five foolish, they said, our Lord delays his coming, and so they ignored it. All of them were virgins. All of them knew what it was like to be a virgin, chased and set apart for God. But only five of them kept the oil in the lamp and were ready when the Lord came. It is possible to not be ready when the Lord comes. And so for you and I, Christian, we, are, we have got to get back to the Lord. In the fullness of Him, in the zeal of Him, and the fire of His glory, we need to come back to Him in a way that says, Lord, I won't, I won't forsake you. One of the things that always baffled me about the story of the ten virgins is the five wise virgins said, I only have enough oil for me. Because the five foolish said, give us oil so that we can go in too. Let me tell you something. I can't return to the Lord for you. I could tell you that he wants you. I could tell you that he's calling to you. And you can even sense him and feel him. But whether you come to him or not is all on you. You see, there comes a time in our life, Christian. Where we need to hit the pause button and focus back on the Lord. Zechariah 1.3 said this, Therefore says the, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, Return to me and I will return to you. The New Testament puts it this way, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That's coming back to the Lord. You see, life has a way of stealing your passion for God. You can get so busy with life, get so busy with everything else, that somewhere down the line, you lose that fire and zeal for God. And you slip back into a, you can even, you can even still go to church. People backslide in church, did you know that? It takes their body a while to catch up with their heart. They could still be going to church and their heart not with them. Matter of fact, the scripture says they draw nigh to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. It is possible, Christian. It is possible to, to walk away from the Lord. 
you know you need to come back to God when you go through your day without worship at all. You see, you could come to church and worship, but worship isn't just a one-day thing. It should be an everyday thing. You know you need to come back to God when you go by, when you, when you go by and you hardly even think about God. Your day is not filled with Him on your mind or heart. You know you need to come back to God when other things take priority over God. When God's ways and God's purpose for your life and you do something else with your life. You know you need to come back to God when you're trying to balance your old life with your new life in Christ. When you're trying to be as, as worldly as you can be and as Christian as you can be and no one know the difference. You know you need to come back to God when that is going on in your heart. The children of Israel came to a point in their life they had used the Ark of the Covenant as a way to try to, as a gimmick, as a trick to try to get God to give them what they wanted. And when it didn't work, God let the Ark be taken by the Philistines. And then the Philistines couldn't handle the presence of God, so they sent the Ark packing down the road. And when it came to Beth Shemesh, a town with with filled with uh, Levites and priests, they handled the ark right, but then they lost the reverence and looked into the ark, and 50,070 men died from it, and they sent the ark to Kerath-Jerim. And for 20 years, 20 long years, there was nothing moving, no sound of, no move of God, no touch of God, no fire of God, no revival, no presence, nothing, just an emptiness. And oh my goodness, how horrible would it be to go day by day, day by day for 20 years and not feel the touch of God. And not hear His voice. And not be in His presence. No wonder why this world is depressed. The creator of the universe isn't speaking into their hearts. No wonder why the therapists are overloaded. No wonder why Mojave Mental Health has got so many people. No wonder why. Because they haven't heard from God. They need to come back to the Lord. He's my counselor. He's my strength. And when I'm falling apart, He's the one who gives me that strength. And the children of Israel hit the pause button for a moment and they said, wait a second. Wait a second. They began to mourn, the Bible said. They mourned. They mourned this concept that God was not with them. Think about that for a moment. How we as believers, when we feel the same thing they felt, because the children of Israel felt a disconnect from the presence of God. They felt disconnected from God. And when they felt this disconnect, it caused a lamenting. A morning. They felt this. They felt that their relationship with God was dead. There was nothing. But these are the people, these are the people who know about God. They're not Philistines. They're not the Moabites or the Edomites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, or any other termites that are in the Bible. They're not any of them people. They're the Israelites. 
the chosen of God, the seed of Abraham, the promised people, the people who knew, who walked through a Red Sea on dry ground, the people who were brought out of Egypt with a strong right arm of God, the people who ate bread from heaven, the people who drank water from a rock, the people who saw God sweeten the bitter waters, the people who watched God drop the walls of Jericho and give them the promised land. These are God's chosen people and they find themselves in a place where they don't even sense God. Man, what a horrible place to be. To know what he's like and not have him. To know that he's good and not taste him. To know that he has what you need and still lack the supply. What a Difficult place. Christian, you and I know how good he is, don't we? Oh, God is good. Oh, in his presence, in his presence is the fullness of joy. I'm telling you, you can have sorrow all around you, but if you're in his presence, you got joy. Yeah, I mean, and his joy, the Bible says, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You want to know why the Bible says that? It says that because there are times in your life where there are things around you that aren't going to supply you the strength that you need, and you're going to have to come into the presence of God and find joy that doesn't come from this world. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory and when you get in his presence you feel this joy and it fires you up again oh that's the joy of the Lord and we are the people who know his presence I know his presence I know when I got him and I know when I don't I know when he's with me and I know when he's not. And finally the children of Israel hit the pause button for a moment and said, wait a second, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. I know him, but I don't feel him. He's, he's supposed to be the, the strength of my life and, and I know him, but Something's wrong. The greatest revival that can come to a heart is the heart of a backslider who says, my father has better. The prodigal son went out and wasted his substance on riotous living. He went out and wasted everything that his father had given him. He found himself eating the slop of the pigs. A Jewish boy decreased down to a very low degrading place in his life. And he came to himself. Thank God that people can come to them, their senses. And say, God, I have in my father's house, it is better. Matter of fact, I used to be so frantic about people who were collapsing under the weight of sin. I used to... Cry out to God, oh God, save them. Oh God, rescue them from their sins. Rescue them from the consequences of their sins. I quit praying that. I started praying, God, get them. Break them, God. Show that backslider how much you love them by crushing their life. Show them by putting them in the pit of their 
sin so they can look up finally and say, in my father's house, it is much better than down here in this pit. It is the grace of God that breaks the sinner and crushes him so he looks up again. They felt the disconnect from God and they said, there's something wrong. What do we need to do about this? And thank God for a man of God like Samuel. Samuel recognized the mourning and the lamenting of their heart. And he said, if you want to return to the Lord, here's what you do. Will you put it up there, sis? If you want God, do this. Do this. Worship God alone. Get rid of your false idols. What is it in your life that has been put before God? Is it your bed? Is it the laziness or is it, is it a besetting sin? Is it fear of coronavirus? What is it that has stolen worship? What is it that has captivated your heart and and, and literally stolen you away from God? Is it the busyness of life? Is it that you've got a job you've got to go to every single day? Is it that you're tired in the night? You see, the children of Israel had idols of worship, Baal and Ashtoreth, and they had idols and they worshiped him, but you and I have different idols than they had. And so you and I have to come to a realization, what is the idol that's trying to steal away God from me? And it can be very simple as just your very own flesh. It can be money, it can be a home, it can be a car, it can be a relationship, it can be so many different things. The question is, are you willing to put it away And come back to God. Worship God alone. He said get rid of these idols. And come back to God alone. He said become passionate about God again. Become passionate about him. Focus on him. Focus on him. Let me read it to you. What what he says to him. He says gather gather you people and I'll pray. So they gathered at Mitzvah in a great ceremony. Drew water uh, from the well. And they poured it out before the Lord. And he said, if you want to return to the Lord, in verse 3, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods, your images of Ashtoreth, turn your hearts to the Lord. Give him your passion again. Give him your passion again. What is it, what is your passion about right now? He says to him, obey the Lord only. Can I tell you that the blessings of God come through the obedience of of his word. Many people want the blessings without the obedience. You can't have both. You can have God, but you can't have God and mammon. You can't have God and other things. God is not an addition to your life. He is your life. He is your life. You say, well, that's awful rough to say I got to obey People don't like this word obey. They don't like it because their flesh goes, ooh. It cringes under the concept of obedience. 
This is why Paul said, I die every day because the flesh loves to rise up. Let me tell you something, Christian. You're going to have to kill your flesh in order to obey the Lord. That's not an easy thing, but it is necessary for a deep, passionate, full of joy worship service in your life. It is necessary for your connection with God. And anytime you find an area of disobedience in your life and you try to come back to the Lord, the first thing the Lord's going to talk about is not the weather. He's going to talk about that place that hasn't been fully surrendered to him. And so Samuel, the man of God, says, if you want the Lord, then you need to come back to the Lord. Worship God alone. Be passionate. Give him your heart again. you got all these things. And here's the funny thing. The Ark of the Covenant isn't even brought into this. Remember last time that we talked about Israel and the Ark of the Covenant? They tried to use the Ark as a way, as a gimmick, as a trick, as a plot, as a plan to get their own way and twist God's arm. And God would not be a part of it. And here they finally come to a broken place where they realize they've missed God. They're disconnected. And they cry out to God in this place of being disconnected. And it's not about the Ark. It's about their heart. The ark is just God's furniture. It's a representation of his presence in the mercy seat. It's a type of the New Testament example of the cross of Calvary. It's the type of the holies of holies about what when Jesus, when the Jesus died on the cross and the, temp, the, the veil in the temple was rent in two, it was torn in two, and you could see into the holies of holies. Why? Because the mercy of God come rushing out of there and into the lives of the people. And grace came running out of there and into the lives of the people. No longer did you have to go through some priest to get into the holy place. God now had come to you. And we have a great high priest who is eternal in the heavens, who ever liveth making intercession for you and I. And his name is Jesus. Amen. So the Ark of the Covenant is simply a type a type, simply a symbol of what is to come. But God was never trying to get them to honor his furniture. He was trying to get them to honor him. And it's a heart issue. And so God says, give me your heart again. And isn't it fascinating that in the process of this, a great ceremony happens. The people, they don't eat. And this is how you know you're serious. You get serious, and I mean, you put things away. When you get serious about God and you're desperate for God, you will put things away. And some things need to be put away out of our life. They need to be put away from us. And Samuel, Samuel calls the people to mess with He says, come on, let's get together. Great ceremony. They didn't eat. They went and they drew water from a well, and instead of drinking it and, and enjoying the water and getting substance, they poured it out to the Lord, and they said, God, you're, we are more desperate for you than even this water. You're our substance of life. You're the thing that we need more than food, more than water. God, we need you. It was a great moment of coming back to God. Israel returning to his first love. A beautiful picture. I could see the angels of heaven rejoicing this day. 
I could see that God smiled down upon his people because finally it was no more a gimmick or a plot or a plan to get God's blessing without God. But it was finally a heart that said, God, I truly just want you and everything that comes with you is simply an extra blessing because I have you. And they cried out to him. And in the midst of this great ceremony, the same enemy that attacked them in chapter 2, the Philistines, and they went and got the Ark of the Covenant and brought it, I'm sorry, chapter 4, and brought it to the battle, and they lost. The same enemy, the Philistines, that defeated them in chapter 4, seeing them get together, and the Philistines mobilized their army and came in to attack them. In this beautiful moment where Israel's returning to God, the enemy intensifies his attack. You need to be aware of this. That any time your heart turns in the direction of God, the enemy mobilizes his attack and he intensifies it. We'll go to the next one, says thank you. So expect the war to intensify the moment you fix your heart on God. The moment you say, oh God, I love you. And I need you. The moment your heart skips a beat and pitter-patters at his presence, you can expect the enemy at your front door. Sometimes we find ourselves surprised that we leave the presence of God to go into a war. Sometimes we're baffled by this concept that we came out of church and we met the devil at the back door. The devil's not happy if you make any decision to serve God with all your heart. And he will do his best to keep you in the bondages of your life. And he will send the wrong friend to do the wrong thing in your life. And it's the Philistines coming back because you poured out your drink offering. And you've not eaten that day. And you said, God, my heart longs for you. There's a passion for you. And the enemy mobilizes his attack against you. Don't be bewildered by it. Don't be baffled by it. Keep on crying out to God. The people became very afraid. And they should have been. Here's the reason why they're afraid. One, the Philistines are the only people that have swords. They're the ones who make the swords. They didn't let any blacksmith workers in Israel at all. If you wanted anything like your tools... To be to to work in the fields, you had to go to the Philistines to get it. It was a way of control. It's called socialism. Not getting political, but hey man. <laughs> so and they were controlling the Israelites by not allowing them to have certain things or sitting in certain places or limiting people's involvement in certain places or forcing them to wear masks. It was a way for them to control them. And so the Israelites have real reason to be fearful. They have real reasons to be afraid because they have no way of defeating them. 
And you know this, that in you, you lack the power to overcome the enemy who wants to steal you away. And so they cry out. They say, please, Samuel, Samuel, cry out to God for us. Please, please help us. We really want the Lord. And they were sincere in their heart. And so Samuel went and got a a young lamb, and he offered a sacrifice to God. And right when they're sacrificing, the enemy shows up. And I like this. Because in the midst of your offerings to God, in the midst of of your commitments to God, the enemy shows up. But it's not you that fights. For the battle is not ours, says the Lord, but it is his. It's his battle, amen? If you are his child, he doesn't fight, the enemy doesn't fight you, he fights the God that has you. Amen? I prayed for years and sometimes I still do. I say, Lord, let my mind belong to you. So when the enemy comes fighting in my mind, he comes fighting on your battleground. Let him not know the terrain of my mind. Let him be easily succumbed by your glory. Father, fill my mind with your glory, I pray. And so they pray. And and Samuel prays a specific prayer. It's not eloquent. It's not fancy. It's not, it's not some, oh, God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. It wasn't some crazy, you know, $50 word, you know, omnipotent God, omnipresent. None of those $50 words. It was simply, God, help. Help me. It was nothing deep or theological. It was, I'm in a mess and I need you, God. God, right now, help me, help me, help. The Bible literally says it. Samuel said, God, help us. And the enemy comes up on the doorstep of Israel. And Israel is in this place of worship. They're worshiping. And the devil's at the door. Have you ever been in this house worshiping with your hands raised and you could hear the barking of the devil in your ear? At that moment, God rose up. You see, the Bible said at the beginning that the children of Israel said that it seemed like God had forsaken them. But God hadn't forsaken them. They had forsaken him. And so God was was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. You know he's there the whole time, right? You know he was there when you chose sin over him. He was there. He was there and when you rejected him, he's still there. He's there when you continue to walk down the road and say, I don't want him. He's still there. There's a young lady back in Missouri that she had the fire of the Holy Spirit in her life. She memorized literally the full book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Memorized it. She had a call of God on her life, wanted to go to Bible college, all these things. And she chose a relationship over God. She chose a boy. He became her God. And she began to worship him and love him more than God. I tried to correct it, and I became the bad guy. And all of a sudden, I was a horrible youth pastor because I cared about her soul. 
And that young lady today is divorced from the man that she loved more than God and is now claiming to be an atheist. All this time, all this time, God is still right there. The word of God does not return void. And I know this, that one day she's going to come to her senses and remember the God of her youth and say, oh, I remember when. And all that time when she's felt so disconnected, she'll realize she was never really disconnected. All she needed to do was turn back to him. That's my prayer for her. And they cry out, and God steps in. And God begins to speak. And I like this, because he don't just say a word. It doesn't just say that that the, the confusion came over the Philistines. It said, God thundered his voice. Ah, yes. Thundered it over. Why? Because God needed to drown out the voice of the enemy. The enemy was barking, but God's got a bigger bark. Amen? The enemy was threatening, but God is not moved by the enemy. And so while the threatening was coming, God began to thunder his voice. He began to speak. He drowned it out every other voice. And the frightened Israelites it began to be encouraged because the voice of God began to speak. Have you ever been in church bewildered by sin, bewildered by the things of the world, bewildered by the voice of the enemy, but then you came into the house of God and you heard the voice of the Almighty and you knew that God was there with you. And he drowned it out every other voice. And you heard God again. And you were encouraged. And you left the house of God and said, I know it's going to be all right. I know it's going to be all right. He's my help. The Bible said Israel chased the Philistines. And they chased them. And all along the way, they were dropping Philistines. Come on now. How many would love to chase the enemy right out of your family's life? How many would love to chase the enemy right out of the church? How many would love to chase the enemy right out of our mind? How many would love to chase the enemy right out of our children? How many would love to chase the enemy right out of our marriages? How many would love to chase the enemy right out of our community? Oh, I'm telling you, there's nothing better than the help of God. Oh, church. The intensity of the battle is no match for God. Doesn't matter what the devil does. God is still God. And I love what they do after this. They set up a good memorial. Say, we got to remember this. We got to remember 
this day. It needs to go down in Israel's history as a moment to never forget. And so they set up a stone between Mizpah and Heshanah. And they set the stone up and they called it Ebenezer. And it means God is my help. Oh, church, I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. For my help cometh from the Lord. Church, we need our own Ebenezer moment. A stone of memorial that says God has helped me. How many remember some of the places in your life where you didn't know what you were going to do and somehow God did something for you? You were falling apart. You were broken. That's your Ebenezer moment. That's the moment God showed up in your life. A moment of transformation. Would you stand with me this morning?